A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to the 20th episode of The First Exchange. We made it to 20. Hurrah. Uh, it is me, your host, Lydia Daydal. Um, and I was delighted to bring on tonight's guest. Um, we've had such a, an array of guests from actors to uh, therapists to holistic health coaches to mind coaches, artists. Um, but we've had no musicians. So it was absolutely brilliant to get this guest on tonight. And I was delighted that he was able to could come in because it's a very important time in his life, in his career. Um, it was, of course, Adam Fogarty, a.k.a. Mathman. Uh, you will know Mathman from Mango and Mathman. Um, they just released their debut album, um, this month and it's called Casual Work and you will definitely have heard the new single the first single off the album is called Deep Blue and features the incredible Lisa Hannigan um, so it was amazing to get Mathman in um, just to kind of talk about the creative process behind the album um, you know the the lead up to record you know during and after and, and the release of the album and the process really that it that it took um, and also to get an insight into who he is um, you know I, I spoke to him when during the interview and I spoke about how we know so much about Mango who's the front man and he's very charismatic but we don't really know too much about Adam who's in the background kind of like controlling the ship like we said and 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 um, you know the creator and the producer for all this wonderful music so really wanted to get him in and to get a sense of who he is and um, his creative process and how he got onto this journey of d- DJ producer and and then we spoke about you know um, his his impact in we'll say the community and the culture that he's in and how he's given back so really good insight into Adam Fogarty aka Mathman so um, I hope you enjoy the 20th episode of the first exchange Adam Fogarty aka Mathman welcome <laughs> what's happening <laughs> episode 20 this is like a ceremonious episode and we didn't think we'd get to Where's 20 bottle episodes. of champagne it's en route it's, or it's six cans of board or something <laughs> <laughs> something to celebrate with I'm, I'm, I'm back on the Heineken Zeros at the moment so no gargle no gargle talk I'm I off I love the dedication <laughs> what's going on? everything's good um, have just come out of a, a really positive and, and good patch of um, people appreciating the art and appreciating yes. the music with the release of the album so casual work Casual work, yeah, yeah, very casual work. Four years <laughs> worth of casual work, to well, be honest. I was doing, like, I obviously wanted to get you on um, the podcast for many reasons. Obviously, you know, um, in terms of like open, co- well, not open common, but those that are kind of breaking through onto sort of the mainstream in Ireland, you guys, although you've been doing so much work for like many years, like everyone seems to be talking about Mango Mathman, you know, mm-hmm. check out this tune and, you know, your videos and different things are kind of, you see them cropping up everywhere. And then I was like super interested because obviously I know Mango, as we were saying before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, I definitely, when I do the podcast, I definitely want to get him on. And like the reason why was because of, you know, the sort of term producer 
and yeah. there's like a wealth of different kind of avenues that a producer can go down. Um, so it was just to get you on and like to pick your brain and like find out about like what led you to this part in your journey, I suppose. Oh, and then totally. obviously you got the album release. So I was like, this is perfect yeah, timing. It all made sense. It all made it? sense. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, uh, obviously Casual Work just released and the first single, uh, Deep Blue, is that mm -hmm. right? With Deep Lisa Blue. Hannigan. Like, That's right. Let's talk about that for a second. It's like, what's like, you know, releasing a record Lisa Hannigan, like one of like our darlings of Irish music. Yeah, she's an icon. Um, it's just uh, we're, we're both just full of pride. Um, mm. We're full of pride that we finally got to release the record after so long and um, to collaborate with somebody as uh, amazing as Lisa and um, for her to lend herself and her own art to what we do is, is a beautiful thing. And just being proud of how far we've come as a group um, and being proud of where we're from. Yeah. As Dubliners um, and representing the city and Ireland as best as we can, you know, with our own our own voice and our own music. So it's just been a really positive month or so now. Absolutely. And the song is amazing and the video Thank is you. even better. And I yeah. love that. Uh, it was Jared Walsh. Is Jared right? Walsh done it, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I know Jared because he's done a lot of work in MMA and combat sports, which is like my field. So yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh my God, it's visually incredible. And then the girls for Ashling and is it and Emma? Emma? Yeah. yeah, from... Yeah. Oh God, what's their company? Not another agency. Not another agency, yeah. yeah. So it was like, oh, it's like when you when you know people that have like created something beautiful and you've you've watched it first without any like, oh, who done this or anything? And then you're like, who the hell was that by? You look and behind then, the curtain. Yeah, and then you're yeah. like, oh, of course, like so good. Um, so it was fantastic. But for our listeners that maybe aren't aware of your background or haven't heard your music <clears> before, <throat> how was it that you and uh, Mango actually got together to like have this like... I suppose this creative like bond and that yeah. created Mango Matman. You were in or was Mango in the cart I'm gonna get it wrong. <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> we were in a group called the Animators. The together. Animators, that's it. I was gonna say the yeah. cartoonists. Oh my god, this is why I should write shit down. Oh my god. Sorry, see this is not my genre, okay? <laughs> no, Ask joking. me anything about Oasis, hot fat, okay, and I'll answer it right now. Love it. <laughs> um yeah, so we met back in twenty eleven. Um there was this event that used to run like monthly in um, a bar called uh, the Grafton Lounge. I know it well. Yeah, a good spot. And uh, my housemate was the manager there. So him and another close friend of mine from college, actually from school back in Clondalkin, uh, DJ Flip, they used to run this event called uh, the Lyricist Lounge. Essentially what the Lyricist Lounge was, um, a showcase event where people could turn up, whether you were an act, a DJ, a rapper, um, or a producer, you rock up to the event and you, you, you get kind of allocated a bit of time to perform to like a room full of your peers. Um, but it was exclusively for like the urban scene. Okay. So it was mainly rappers and singers, producers and DJs. So the DJs would battle each other and then like they'd have like a quarterfinal, semifinal and final. Um, they'd have some rap battles, but they'd also have a beat battle. And the beat battle was kind of like the, the big thing of the, of the night. Yeah. Um, and I used to take part in them. And on this particular night, um, I took part in the beat battle and uh, I made it through to the final. And uh, I got beaten by another great producer from Dublin called G.I. But we went round for round and we went overtime, overtime, overtime. It was so close. And uh, he, eventually he beat me. And as I was walking off the stage, I was walking like through the, through the uh, crowd 
I just get a little tap on my shoulder and he's like, I, I turn around and there's this redheaded fella standing there and I, I didn't know who he was or, or like um, uh, anything about him and he said what's the story man listen hey, your fucking your beats are um, insane they're unbelievable blah 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 because at the time I was making stuff that um, basically nobody else in the country was Ireland, Ireland was kind of re- really good at making this boom bap sampled bass music mm-hmm. and I was making this real bass heavy electronic stuff okay so uh it really stood out against all the other producers <clears throat> so uh, mango runs up to me what's the story yeah listen i'd love to work with you Um i'm in this group called the animators Um i'd love to introduce you to them uh, and maybe we can work on something together so i was like yeah man look listen i'm not working on any projects at the moment because i was writing for a bunch of different artists around ireland at the time and some people in the uk I said, yeah, I'd love to hear more. So we had a, a quick chat for maybe 10 minutes or so. And uh, we swapped numbers. And then eventually, I think maybe a week later or two weeks later, I met him and the rest of the animators in a, an apartment uh, down on uh, Thomas Street. And the animators at that time, it was weird. It was like so solid crew. There was about 35 <laughs> members. And like yes. lads would turn up and say they're a member. And you just go, yeah, all right, you might be. You know, yeah, it was just like yeah, yeah. loose affiliations. and yeah. So... Um, I, I turned up with some music, beats on a CD or whatever. We, there were CDs at the time. Um, those are long gone. Um, <laughs> played a few beats and then all the guys that were in the room just started rapping. So they were all kind of like showing off and, you know, let me get on this, you know, yeah. trying to impress. Yeah. And uh, what I heard was like actually kind of enthused me. And I was like, I can see some talent here. I can see some talent there. And I think if we do this, this and this, this could be something. So from that point onwards, um, I essentially started producing the entire group and giving them a a sonic sound and style um, and then guiding them through like the creative process about, you know, let's do a track about this. What's your story? How can you fit into this? And essentially what a producer does um, when we get into the studio. And um, so that was the first time that I met Mango. And then slowly our relationship uh, as like kind of musical counterparts in a group, but also as mates started to develop. Mm Mm-hmm. And the animators, we were together for maybe about four years, give or take. And we had some really big success. And like we, we certainly uh, made some firsts for uh, for hip-hop music in Ireland at the time. Mm-hmm. We were on TV twice on, on like the Saturday Night Show on, on RTE and stuff like that. And all that shit was unheard of yeah. for Irish and Dublin rap because it was so stigmatised mm-hmm. for you know most of its existence. Why do you think that was? When you, when you say Dublin rap, like explain it to somebody that... Like like me, that just isn't like I'm obviously aware of it, but I'm not in the scene, so I don't really yeah. know. Like, what what was your experiences of it at that time? Are you referencing like you know rapping in your own accents? Yeah, yeah that's exactly it. Yeah. Um, but it's not just rapping in your own accents; it's rapping in your own accent, but talking about your stories as mm-hmm. an Irish person, or as a Dubliner, or as a, or somebody from Cork or Limerick or wherever it might be. And I I think Ireland as a as a as a whole was kind of ashamed of itself in many ways and they weren't prepared to accept um, young men and or young girls within these genres trying to express themselves. They always laughed at it and, as I said, stigmatised and pushed it to the fringes. And for, you know, many years, only up until maybe two, three years ago, many of the urban music community in Ireland would have felt uh, marginalised mm-hmm. by society, um, marginalised by the, the music community in Ireland, etc., etc. So, um, 
as people probably know, like I'm very, very proud of where I'm from and I'm very mm-hmm. proud of being an Irish person and a Dubliner. And there was no way in this world that that was going to change for anything, whether people believed it or not. Mm-hmm. So what makes this whole thing more satisfying with what me and Mango are doing right now is that like people love it now. Yeah. And it's like we've come through a lot of really horrible stuff over the last, mm-hmm. you know, give or take 10 years with people pushing us to the fringes and um, not accepting it. Now it's like we've come full circle. Well, now, I mean, I, I, it was at Longest Jude I saw a video of you guys and it's like this like full tent of yeah. thousands of kids and they're like absolutely going. <clears throat> if you if you didn't know anything about you guys and like, I, I don't mean this in an insult, mm. but like you, you go like, oh, they're London's hit, like, you know, most you know, recent hit or whatever. Yeah, sure, you, sure. You, you just, you don't go like, oh, they look like an Irish band or whatever. You were global. You know what I mean? Like you could mm. see you on a global stage when I watched that video. And that's why I was like, this is like a movement. It's not a really good, like, uh, hip hop act or whatever mm-hmm. it is. It's a movement that's happening. And there's obviously something very, um, you know, maybe it's a, a weird kind of comparison, but when I was like, knew that you were coming on and I was like looking at YouTube and interviews and, and live videos and stuff like that, I kind of got the same resonance with it when, you know, from my genre or my area is combat sports martial arts, when Connor got, went to the UFC and started taking over and it was that like sense of pride and mm-hmm. sort of that you've kind of found a little bit of yourself in something and you kind of, you felt found a little bit and it was a movement that you could be a part of and you were in the middle of it when it was sort of starting off and now it's starting to expand and everyone's starting to take notice. Yeah. And that's the, the same thing that I got when I watched your guys' stuff. You know, I was like, <clears throat> shit, like, I knew of you. I knew you were doing great work, but I didn't know it was to that actual, like, degree of, you know, m- just chaos, like, yeah, good yeah, chaos. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? yeah, yeah, totally. I guess... Um, it's about representation. And when you say like words like uh, I, I feel kind of proud or connected to this or part of a movement, um, we always felt like going back eight, nine, ten years ago, nothing has really changed for us. We're, we've always been representing ourselves, our, our yeah. city, our country um, and our stories. Um, but now now the young fellas on the street um, and the girls on the street are seeing somebody or a group of people, because we can't just talk about myself and Mango, there's a wider community mm-hmm. as well, that are representing them. Mm-hmm. They're representing their realities, yeah, their stories, their communities, um, their lives. And that's what great art should be, you yeah. know? Um, well, honest, honest totally, work. Yeah, well, you know I, I mean? art, art is truth and, and it should be mm-hmm. truth. Um, so when, when the guys and girls uh, in, in Ireland see themselves represented on a, on a stage, hearing all the, the, the similarities between our stories and theirs, that connection will, will be mm-hmm. truer and it'll be, it'll be realer. So I guess, yeah, there's, there's a good few similarities with, with the Connor story and, and how, how that's moved forward for him. But um, we've always just believed in who we are and what, what we have to say mm-hmm. and the music that we make. Now everybody else is just caught up. <laughs> Absolutely. But I imagine it took a lot of like self-belief in a way. Like if yeah. you're saying it's this long road, whereas it's that typical thing of people are starting to catch on to it now. And it's like, oh, they're an overnight success, like overnight, like 10 years or something. Yeah, yeah, put that's, in the graph behind the scenes, you know what I mean? Yeah. Was there ever a moment in that journey where you were like, right, maybe I'll make kind of a more user friendly beat or I'll go to a particular genre or, you know, something that like will get me on mainstream radio or whatever it is and get us out of like you know the underground I suppose yeah you kind of have to be conscious about the artistic decisions that you make mm-hmm. but you should never really kind of 
it, sh- it should never lean too far away from your own your own truth and your own kind of ideals for your art. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess when we were with the animators, we, we made one or two songs that we felt might be a little bit more accessible mm-hmm. to the wider public. But um, it was still true to us. Yeah. And what we represented. And I guess it's the same with, like, Deep Blue is on, on radio right now, if we use that mm-hmm. as an example. Um, that's a Mango and Matman record, no matter what way you look at it. Yeah. It just so happens to have one of our icons, mm-hmm. uh, with Lisa Hannigan on it, but it's a great tune that people can't deny it. They have yeah. to support it. They're playing it on radio. People are talking about it, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't necessarily a record that we wrote for radio. It just mm-hmm. so happened to be a strong single from the album that we felt was a good lead and representation of what casual work was going to be. Mm-hmm. So sometimes they just happen, yeah. you know. But yeah. I, for us, particularly for me as the producer uh, within the group, I'm very, um, I'm very particular about the representation sonically of mm-hmm. what we do. Like you will never hear us do like something. Like it won't be overtly pop. Yeah. You know, although we do have the Heartbreaks and Promises track with <laughs> Melina Malone, which is an absolute, you know, crossover yeah. stomper. But um, for the most part, the art is, is, is very true to who we are and what mm-hmm. we represent. That's amazing. So with the records, um, was, is it right four years it took to make? Yeah, for like yeah, but not, not like on a were you in the studio day to day weekly basis? <laughs> like, but yeah, absolutely. Longest running studio or album ever. Yeah, it was four years. Like from when we sat down to to talk about it and um, get it started, but it took a long time to get started, and then we were just chipping away at it. the The funny thing is, I don't know if uh, not if a lot of people know this, but the majority of casual work was actually, I'd say, sixty to seventy percent of it had been written before mm-hmm. we even put Wheel Up out in uh, 2017, which was like our first EP as a group. Iconic cover. Legendary cover. I love cover. the Wheel Up cover. I, it was actually cover. The, the cover I saw first. I was like, that is oh, really? brilliant. And then I was like, is that a young man? Like, is that actually Mango? And then I, I would start listening to you. And oh, I there's like, so many layers to that photo and there's so many layers to the, to the word Wheel Up and what that means in yeah. um, club culture what a wheel up is. Please explain. I'm what not down. Up. I'm not down. <laughs> <laughs> a wheel up is essentially a, a reload of a record. So a record starts and if the reaction from the crowd is so crazy within the first 10 to 15 seconds, um, the DJ will spin it back and start it again. Brilliant. So that's what a wheel up is. Love it. Um, so it's a, it's a nod to UK rave culture in terms okay. of grime MCs and jungle DJs and, and grime DJs. And it's also uh, a nod to Dublin working class culture yeah. where lads just rallying around on bikes doing wheelies yeah and for anyone who does it definitely google it if you're listening and you don't know the cover but it's like a young little ginger kid and he's doing a wheelie and it's like on a street and then he's got like a little strip across his face and the fact that he's a little gi- a ginger as well it was it's brilliant you know because mango <laughs> so it's great so it works good. on so many lads yeah it was so. deadly uh, I don't want to kind of go off too off talking about your, the album sure, sure. I get into it but in terms of um, like album artwork and I imagine that that's equally as important as making the record and, and the record itself because you yeah. you wanted to like that I was I saw that first before I heard the record so it's that thing of like you know the cover of a book essentially what yeah. will draw people in yeah it's I mean it's all part of the the narrative and it's all part of selling the concept and the story of um a, a project whether mm-hmm. it's an EP or an album so the artwork the visual the text that you use um all of that is like considered to the, like the f- absolute 
finest detail mm -hmm. because you don't want to give something to the world and look back at it and go, ah, that could have been better. Or, ah. That doesn't represent exactly what we were saying or whatever it might be. So mm -hmm. um, everything is, is highly considered in terms of the decision-making uh, process for every piece of the art, from the music to the mix and master to the artwork, every, every single piece of it. Because people are buying the story and yeah. they're buying a journey. When you, yeah. when you listen to an album, if you listen to a proper album that has like a, a beginning, a middle and an end, that has to begin when you pick the record up and your curiosity is sparked by looking at that cover saying, what is this saying to me? Mm -hmm. What does this mean? Um, and then when you put the record on, having looked at the, the cover, you go, ah, okay, this is slowly starting to make mm -hmm. sense to me. This is all feeding itself. It all feeds each other. So no, none of it is, uh, is left to chance. But it's such a strange thing, isn't it? Because musicians, producers, anyone in the creative field, they're usually very perfectionists I suppose and yeah. are very particular on how they want their art to be represented and the output and it's a very strange thing isn't it because when it actually gets released it's sort of in the public domain it's no longer yours a little bit and you know you have that thing of like will it be received well will it be received as I want it to be how will it be received and then you live with that thing of like when you listen to it you know, 10 years later, you don't want to hear that little something where you go, fuck, I should have taken that out or it's missing. So it's such a, it can be such a very tedious, yeah. long, creative process, I imagine. It is. It's tough. It's tough when you're like in the studio and you're doing like the 15th take on something and or you're two days mixing a record and you're still not getting to the point that you, you want. But we have this rule like that we we set back in in, in the animators days and it was called Future Classics. Mm -hmm. So that was the mindset that we'd always have. Okay. Everything that we have to do has to be a future classic. So in 10 years time, 15 years time, in 20 years time, grandkids time, when they look back at it, mm. we can say, actually, that was the best it could possibly have been at that time. And we're happy with how it was when we gave it to the world. Yeah. And it's exactly the same attitude that we have with, with casual work. Um, it's about leaving it all in there, leaving it all in the studio, leaving it wherever we work, um, so that when we do step away from it, it's like, yeah, we're, we're fully satisfied and happy with that, you yeah. know? And I can genuinely say for, for the first time ever, like fully, 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 that there's, n there's nothing better that could have been done or added to, mm -hmm. to casual work to make it like any better. I'm fully satisfied. That's amazing to hear. Do you think that's down to the fact that you're, it's your experience that's gone into that the relationship you know you've had a couple of years in terms of working alongside mango and you're getting the relationship together um like what would you pinpoint that down to oh there's so many different things like you're right it's it's experience having made records before having made albums before um maturity you know not mm -hmm. getting hung up on all the silly things you used to i can safely say um now that that, that album is out in in the world um <laughs> I don't care if like one person listens to it or a million people listen to it. I know how good that is. And I, I know that it has satisfied my own kind of perfectionism and creative sense mm -hmm. that I'm like, I'm happy with it. If yeah. I've met my own standards mm -hmm. and it's in the world now, I'm happy for whatever happens to it. Yeah, It's fine. If you had asked me that question like four years ago, five years ago, I would have been hung up on who's playing it, yeah. what radio stations are getting behind it. Who's talking about it? Mm. What playlist? Well, there was no real play Spotify playlist back then, but like that type of stuff, you'd be like, yeah. what magazines are talking about mm. it is on that. So 
with my own maturity and kind of, I guess, um, experience and learning about mm-hmm. this stuff over the years, I'm not getting too like caught up in your own ego about these things to just let it into the world. And when it, once you are satisfied and happy with it yourself, genuinely, that's all that matters. Absolutely. It's very interesting. And the reason that I ask that is because, um, you know, if you don't mind me saying you're in your 30s, we were yeah. discussing before here, you know, yeah, and yeah. like definitely something with myself in my own work in, in terms of like the creative process and, you know, doing stuff like being on TV or interviews, even from a, a physical point of view of just mm-hmm. being like, I actually don't give a bollocks what I look like <laughs> once I just, you know, can get the work done and it's good work and I can progress on to whatever or people are enjoying it or tuning in and it's interesting and it's like creative and yeah. inspiring in some way. And I, I'm still at that thing when I think about it, I'm like, is it because I've been doing this for so long? Is it because I'm like in my 30s and it's just part of like, you know, growing older and knowing more and uh, knowing yourself better? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, what is it? Or is it that, you know, you're just whatever, whatever it might be. So it's a really interesting thing. And then when you talk about ego as well, ego is like such an important, like, or it's a, such an interesting topic for me because... I definitely know that in my 20s, I maybe ruined a lot of like my opportunities through ego. And right. I let my ego get in the way of maybe like progressing in certain areas. Yeah. Um, so it's a really interesting thing that, again, the, my obsession with sort of the ego and things like that. It's only been when I turned 30 and I started kind of going inwards that I started getting a little bit of an idea or an understanding of it. And for your industry in music like ego is everywhere and <laughs> it's like I mean we just met but I can already tell that you're very honest and truthful and like you're just you know there's no ego here I just want to make good music and be creative and have my art and that's it but you're in an industry where a lot of people you know believe the hype on themselves and it's it's kind of all-consuming and the, even though there might be making records um from an honest place the kind of output and how they represent themselves you can just you look at them and you go like that's your ego mm-hmm. how do you or what is it for you in terms of like creating records and, and being a producer being a musician um that keeps your ego in check i mean do you have to keep your ego in check or is it just as you are you're just this is who i am and i'm asking as well because like it's interesting when you look at the dynamic from an outsider that doesn't know you or Mango very well in that he's so charismatic and so just when you're playing live, he's just captivating. And then you're in the background just keeping it all together and mm. keeping that shape floating. And it seems like you're very happy to sort of just <laughs> keep me in the back and <laughs> yeah, do yeah. my thing and let him, you know. And is that a conscious, you know, is that something yeah, like I need someone yeah, to, conscious, yeah. I need someone to just like take control out the front and let me just, yeah, I mean, but that's here. that's the balance to this, um, and it, it's the great balance with it within the group. Like the, for me, hands down, I'm, I've been doing, I'm working within this culture <clears throat> as a DJ or as a producer for you know over twenty years now. Um, Mango's the best frontman I've, I've ever ever seen as a as a, as a DJ or as a a producer within this scene in Ireland. Mm-hmm. He's hands down the best. There's, there's nobody can come close to him. For mm-hmm. all of the multifaceted p- bits that make up a great frontman, he has them all. Um, but you can't have three or four of him in the same group. Yes. And I don't want to be that person either. And you have to have somebody that steers the ship. 
Yeah. You know, um, well, there's somebody away from the top <laughs> of it, you know, <laughs> shouting everybody. With the flag or something. Taking his top like, off. Yeah, yeah. Getting the post he's together. He's up going to the top with the, the oak. Look at the arr, He's got the hat. He, he's putting his pigeon or whatever. The, what's the bird? Not a pigeon. Paris. Paris. You've got a parrot on his shoulder. But he's from Dublin. He might have a pigeon. Yeah. He might have a pigeon. Yeah, yeah. Fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, horrible. Yeah, yeah. We're like two. If I don't see that on the next single cover, man go in the that... front with a pigeon on his shoulder. Listen, <laughs> the, that's highly possible with Mango. Um, but yeah, like, there's that, like, I mean, like you mentioned Oasis earlier on. Yes, my favourite band. You know, like, the the ego and the, the relationship between, you know, essentially two front men. Yeah. You know, Noel and Liam. It doesn't work. It leads, mm-hmm. to, it leads to friction. It leads to breakups, at least. Yeah, you know, it it's, 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 it's toxic, you know. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I'm just not that person. I'm not the person that I don't want to be out the front. I'm happy to do what I do and lay in the cut and make the moves and put things together and, and be the producer. That's the balance. And that's why this works so well is mm-hmm. that he's great at this. I'm great at that. He's not good at this and I'm not good at that. Yeah. So when you put the two of them together, it's the it's the yin and the yang. So yeah, that that's why it works. Um, and that's that's why it's great. But in terms of ego, um, I guess it comes it comes with maturity. Um, age helps, and age and experience. You know, experience comes with age, and mm-hmm. the more you do, and the more you challenge yourself and different things, you learn more about yourself. Um, but uh, yeah, in my early twenties, I would I would have had a, a, a serious ego problem about what I was and what I was doing, and I was making some big moves for a young kid when I when I first started, mm-hmm. and I, I definitely got ahead of myself. And like you said, I uh, I probably ruined a lot of relationships for my own career, mm-hmm. um, because of that. And um, you you learn to deal with it over over the years. What has happened to me is that my value set. Uh, is now completely different to to what I was when when I was in my twenties. You know that's completely reset in terms mm-hmm. of what I value the most and what what I feel I'm here to do as an artist, um, and that's to make a, a really long lasting difference and impact on the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not about me, you know, being the face of this or the face of that or the voice of this or the voice that. It's, that's it really doesn't matter to me. It's about making an impact that is positive and it can help other people grow and move things forward. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what it's down. I think it's a it's a bunch of different things. Like I said, it's maturity, it's growth, it's age, it's fucking it's experiences, it's all of these things. It's learning from other people. It's becoming more informed about your own sense of self, um, your own sense of identity, um, toxic masculinity, all of these things, mm-hmm. you know, the more we, we learn and the more we read, the more we become informed we become better human beings, I think, you know, we grow. So um, I, I still have a lot of work to do, don't get me wrong, in terms of being a, a better person. And um, But I definitely, I'm definitely better than what I was in my, in my yeah. early to mid-twenties, I could tell you that. We're, we're talking casual work, but let's talk self-work, like what you yeah. just mentioned there. Um, like, was there a time period where you were like, you know, actively decided to kind of, be a better human, I suppose. And no. like, no, it just no. It, it was never conscious. No, definitely not. It has come with time, and it has been very gradual. Um, and I've noticed it in myself, you know, as in like, oh, okay, this is. I feel better about doing this, um, and I feel better about doing. And I don't like doing like it's. It's happened gradually over time, and just kind of, mm. you you become more self aware about you know good things in your life and 
making a positive impact with other people and appreciating other people mm-hmm. and doing things with people. all of these type of things it was never one day I woke up going man I'm a horrible person I need yeah. to fucking change everything <laughs> yeah. you know like, let's switch this up you know because yeah. yeah. that's feigned you know yeah. and that's that's contrived as well I, I feel um, so um, it's it's over time it's a gradual thing it's a learning thing I'm like I should and I hope I will be still growing and learning but to, to the day I, you know I put the head down and you know I don't get Absolutely. back up well, so it's a gradual thing that's the importance like if we're not continuously learning in whatever we're doing then we're not progressing that's yeah, what totally. I feel about you know Absolutely. what I mean um, can I ask about like you in terms of like young Adam the like child the teenage years and then like I'm trying to get a sense of like what it was in your childhood that led you to have this career path. You know, like, did your mom give you like a little Casio, like <laughs> keyboard when you were three at Christmas or like, w- w- like was music something that was in your family at home? How was it kind of this sort of you know, growth inside you? Um, there's a couple of kind of major milestones, I, I, I'd say. There's one in particular, but there's a few that led up to it. Essentially, music was definitely always in the household. My mom played the bower on um, in, in the Brilliant. house. And yeah, yeah. And she was great at it too. And she, you know, she she had us trying it over the years, but we were never too good at it. <laughs> um, and we'd learn music in school, like play the Tim Whistle or whatever. But my ma is a pop music fiend, like mm. a, an absolute fiend. The idea of a mixtape, I had no idea of what that was until I seen me ma making them you know she'd yeah she'd record she'd have the blank tape in the um in the stereo and she'd be waiting for the dj to stop talking and then hit record <laughs> and then record whatever it was on the radio yeah. and just before he starts talking again she'll pause it and wait for the next song to come on yeah. um but my mom used to buy me records um when i was like set six seven eight years of age yeah. she'd buy me seven inches and she'd always buy me michael jackson records because that was my favorite artist um and between herself and my dad, they had a massive record collection and I'd always be playing various bits and pieces of them. And over time, like that kind of enthusiasm for music just started to grow and grow. And my mom is a, um, is a very, very creative person. She's an artist herself. Yeah. And um, over the years, she was very encouraging um, for about myself, my bro, my, my little bro, my little sister about um, being creative and being artistic and expressing yourself in many different ways in different art forms um, so if it wasn't for my mum the creative streak that I have w- wouldn't exist genuinely she had us doing everything creative everything artistic until I guess we found something that we felt really comfortable with and something that we had a passion for mm. my sister has gone on to be an artist wow. my brother went on to be a sound engineer and I have went on to be a DJ and a, and a producer and um, but that's because of my mom and her encouraging every facet of the artistic value in in you as a person mm-hmm. over the years. But on the on the housing estate that I grew up in in Clondalkin, there was no one my age. Um, everyone that I hung around with had about four or five years on me. They were older lads. Yeah. So and it was a small estate in Clondalkin, um, and in the middle of the estate there was a football pitch. Well, it was a field that we used for a football pitch and we'd make our own goals out of wood and stuff like that. <laughs> but we'd play ball, you know, for nine hours a day. Yeah. <laughs> but then we'd all go into one of the lads' house that lived close to the field. And those lads, at the time, they would have had, like, the first NWA records and the first Snoop Dogg records. But they also would have had the best Euro dance and club music that was out at the time. Yeah. Because they had older brothers as well. Um and what they used to do for me was, uh, this is at like eight years of age, 
they make me mixtapes and on one side of the mixtape they put rap music on it and on the other side of music on, on the other side of the tape they put dance music on it right so I got back up to my house and I'd just be sitting there listening to that like non-stop and I could only listen to the rap side of it when me man and I were out of gaff because yeah. the shit was like just <laughs> dirt for an eight year old to be listening to it was like it was fucking <laughs> odd, like terrible um, and I got caught one time but that that's another story but anyway they it, they were my kind of real formative years and those are the guys that taught me how to be on the street, how to dress, how to talk, you know, how to be a young fella in mm. Dublin, in Clondalkin at the time. They did it consciously, but they also did it subconsciously because I was watching every move that they make, yeah. you know. Um, so that had a massive impact on me. And many years later, I would have been around 13. I remember one day I went down to one of the boys' gaff, uh, gaffs and I went in. And his man was like, yeah, he's upstairs, go on up to him. And I, I walked up and I went into the room and there was one or two of the boys already in there. But as I was walking up the stairs, all I heard was, I was like, what is going on here? Um, so I walk into the room and he was at the top of his room on a set of decks, just playing records, cutting from one to the other, mixing. And I'm, and I'm just standing there going, I knew it was club music and dance music, but I'd never seen a DJ. I'd seen him on like videotapes or maybe yeah. a bit on TV, but I'd never seen somebody physically stand in front of me and mix records together. And I swear to God, you know when people say they have that moment? Yeah. That was the moment. Like everything, literally everything in my life changed at that very moment. Um, so from there, I got my first job at 14, working in the local fruit and veg shop in uh, in Clondalkin. And I worked there um, part-time. i go one day after school and then i do the, like Saturday. And i make a good few quid. Like they, they paid well. It was actually <laughs> one of my favourite jobs. It was brilliant. Um, you got to learn, you got to meet all the grannies and you know, ah, how are you Tina? Come here. Like, <laughs> carry them spuds out of you, you know. You know? But, and it was actually really good to, you know, to learn how to deal with people. And, like, yeah, and, get you your know, people skills up. Oh, it was great, you know, and it gave me a lot of self-confidence or whatever. But, Every single penny that I made working in that fruit and veg store was either saved to buy my first set of decks or I'd go out and buy records. Because what the lads told me at the time was, see that there, that's a white label. And see that there, that's a promo. And I'm like, what, what do you mean a white label? What's a promo? They're like, see that white label? There's only 50 of them in the country. And I was like, oh, wow. So that's like a really rare, exclusive record. And that promo over there, there's only 10 of them in the country. I'm like, that's even rare. Wow, okay, okay, okay. So they were telling me about the game and, how, and, and what it is to own these records. And a DJ was always measured off the quality of the records that they had in their bag and whether you had it and nobody else had it. You know, that's how mm. you know your status as a DJ was kind of valued. Yeah. So as a 14-year-old, I was bang away to this. And even though I didn't have a set of decks, I'd have the money from the fruit and veg shop and I'd go into Abbey Discs on a Saturday. Or sorry, I'd go in on a Friday evening because I'd be working on a Saturday and I'd spend every penny that I had getting all these records so I'd have them when I eventually bought me decks. So I think within about six months, I had my first set of decks and I had the speakers and I, I bought the lot so we could go do house parties, the whole lot, blah, 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 blah. And uh, it was from there at 14, my whole life just was focused and solely dedicated to music. It's insane to hear you talk like that because one... Like the way you're reminiscing on it, it sounds like someone like 22 or 23. When you think about the fact you were 14 and like yeah. most 14 year olds really don't have a clue about anything, you know, or they're not even, they just are video games or playing soccer or whatever it is. 
but it just sounds like you instantly as you're saying you had that sort of like aha moments like okay this is what i meant to do yeah. and you just went and done it i never believe anybody about those aha moments i always think that's hot, like absolute bollocks but <laughs> that was it for me that it really did happen i was like yeah. this is literally just changed everything but i was always a self-aware a very self-aware kid um and knowing a being conscious of myself and and the decisions that I was making mm. because equally with that group of the lads that I grew up around it could have went you know a completely different direction mm-hmm. but I, I chose not to to do that yeah. and that I was going to make music whatever happened to me just mm-hmm. I loved pl- DJing and I loved like making music so or I would eventually love making music so um can you remember that time in in kind of in yourself in was there sort of like a conscience awareness like you're saying of going like right, if I head off there or if I start doing that, like, you know, maybe you would lead down a different path because we oh, see yeah. it all the time, right? And like, even with, you know, any of the young teens that I meet and it's like, they're so lost and all you w- would want for them is to find something that they're passionate about. Yeah. Whether it's music, whether it's gardening, whether it's fucking, do you know what I mean? Like fly fishing yeah. just something to be passionate about and to give you focus and to learn and to grow from it yeah so for you to find that such in a young age like that's like a total gift in itself right yeah like i was definitely blessed um i was kind of blessed as well with the, the people that were around me because i was the young fella they never expected anything from me mm-hmm. so they never you know you do this for us you take care of that for us there was none of that mm-hmm. i was always seen as the young fella i look after him He's A1 or, you know, yeah. keep him out of or whatever it might be. So um, they were they were self-aware enough themselves yeah. not to try and fucking drag me down that road or do that. Mm-hmm. But myself, I, I just, I knew that I would never let something like that happen, you know. Mm-hmm. And I have good people around me in, in terms of my own, you know, family to to be wide to, to, to stuff like that, mm-hmm. given, you know, certain things that have happened in their own lives. They go, look, that's, you know, we're not going to go down that road. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Luckily, was was communication was a big thing in your family when you were growing up? Like, was there open conversations? You know what I mean? So it's having a, what you're saying about even like that being in your consciousness. Like there's, I know in my house, like, you know, communication probably wasn't the strongest point, you know, typical Irish da, ma. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like it's, it's kind of just like, oh, you're into this. Yeah, no bother. You know what I mean? Just let yeah. her off to do whatever. And you just kind of found your way. And just yeah, that was it, exactly you know? it. My parents weren't ever prescriptive about what you should or shouldn't do with your life. They always just wanted the best for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and whatever I was happy doing, they were willing to support me and, you know, um, help me out along the way. Um, so, no, I, I would have had a similar, like, family in terms of the, the communication. Like, there was no, you know inspiring speeches from your outflow or your, or your <laughs> ma, you know go get it and do this and do that you know you, you know there's none of that it was just yeah. like right son if you have an idea about what you want to do in your life go do it and uh, we'll be here to support you along the mm-hmm. way and that's it's as simple as that and they, they still are you know yeah and um, they even they even came to electric picnic there two years ago when me and mango played and, <laughs> um they, they were flat out in the crowd like their first festival <laughs> 
Uh, no, would have been no. They would have been at like a few, you know, back in the day. or whatever. Yeah. Back in the day, you know, whatever else they were going to, you know, Dylan and Slane or yeah. Rod Stewart. Wh- whatever. And you know, I don't know about Rod Stewart now. There won't be too many Rod Stewart fans in the family. But my ma went to Rod Stewart and status quo in Croke Park. Oh, like, oh, the amount of leopard print that that fucking thing would have been unreal. I swear and, to God. And, and bald heads with little ponytails. Oh my little God. Little rat tails in the back. Oh, that's um, the... But I know they went to your album launch. You had is it? Well, you had was the album launch in Atelier Mesa? Did you oh, have a, yeah. a so, yeah, we had party? we had a listening party there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A big shout out to Al. Um he's an absolute legend. And he's Al, Al, I swear to God, um it's probably not acknowledged or said enough. Uh, and I know Mango feels the same way. Um like he needs he needs all the appreciation that he Keys to the city. Yeah, no, he's he's a he's a he's a big inspiration to so many mm. people. <clears throat> he really is. Um and probably in, in more ways than he, he actually realizes. So yeah. um now he's he's a great dude and um he supports us and what we do, you know, mm-hmm. he believes in what we do. So he was um very kind to, to give us Atelier Mesa that night to yeah. and you know what, honestly God, I couldn't have imagined it anywhere else, you know. Yeah. He, he himself is a, is an institution in this city. He now has a place that's becoming an institution mm. in the city and stands for a lot of amazing things. And if the fact that we were able to do what we did there that night and have our list the first time the public ever got to hear um, our art it was in his space it was a, it was a really it was a really satisfying thing for me mm. uh, I know it was for Mango too so uh, big love to Ali he's, he's a really good dude but it seemed like great nice ah uh, it was amazing it was incredibly emotional to be honest it was it was a really was, did I see you put up yeah I was looking at your I was uh, creeping on your yeah. Instagram <laughs> uh, <it was> a, <laughs> <laughs> for purely for uh Research, Work, well, research purposes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but was that your dad? A picture of you? It uh, was a picture of you holding oh, your mom dad, or yeah, your yeah. dad. Like that that's was I, like literally tears in my eyes. Yeah. And it's always stuff like that that it brings you back to your own experiences. And I think about the times that, like, you know, my dad is a man of very little words, but I remember mm-hmm. those few times where he said, "I'm really proud of you," or "Well yeah, done, yeah. go get a kid, you're doing well," or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. So it's like that thing where you see that, and also, you know, you guys are cool. You're in music, but yet you're you're showing and you're not afraid to show that, like, you have a love, a deep growth for your parents course, still. Do you know what course, I mean? Like, yeah, and that's I mean, something that's very important. Why hide that? It's that's life. That's reality. That's that's mm. your truth. Um, I wouldn't share too many personal things on, on social media because I really don't like social media. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, I, I don't like it at all. I do as little as I, as I have to on it. But um, as much as we were talking about my mom earlier on and her literally giving me this you know, creative um, avenue mm-hmm. or outlet as a kid and, and really forming and help forming who I am today, the hard work and graft that comes with being an artist and living your own life as a, mm-hmm. as a, as a, as a person it comes from my dad mm. literally he's a workaholic if he's not doing something in the house he's doing something in somebody else's house I mean grannies and my uncles he's helping somebody do this this and this he just he's non-stop but that work ethic and that kind of blind ambition to stay stay working and help people has come from him mm. so I remember that night when, when it was all said and done and it, we had just literally finished List, the listening part and the interview with Una and people had kind of just um, started to mill around and get some drinks or whatever that was a, the first opportunity that I had to you know say to me Dad, what do you reckon do you think you know <laughs> it was like I'm so proud of you son it's mm. that this was absolutely amazing and like things like that when that happens like you think about 
all of the great things that he's given you over the years mm-hmm. to, to put you in the position that you are right now. His yeah. own sacrifices to, you know, raise his kids, but also the lessons that he's taught me. And like I said, he's not it wouldn't be a man for great speeches or, or anything like that. But it was me watching him and learning from him, just looking at him as a person yeah. to see and learning from that. And I, I carry all of that experience and, and those kind of same attitudes just from watching him yeah. over the years. And that was, it was a beautiful moment for me to, to be able to do that. And your dad turn around to you and say, I'm, re- I'm really proud of you, you know. So um, my, my deep love for Dublin City comes from him, you know, because he comes from a you know, a, a different era when Dublin was a different place yeah. and being proud of where you're from and representing where you're from, mm. even if that comes down to your fucking area, that was my dad, you know, and, and I learned that from him and to have that that passion for representing your city. Mm-hmm. So um, I equally have so much to, to thank him for. Absolutely. And it's very interesting the way that you said you meant you you said that he is always doing stuff and always helping people and you actually touched on that earlier as well when you're talking about the release of the records and what was important for you is that like you know kind of people listen to it and it inspired people and it helped people in some way Mm. so obviously that's a little kind of you know a trail that you did get off your dad like you're saying yeah totally um and again like that was never something really or truly conscious it was something that you know, naturally happen or, or mm-hmm. happened over time. Um, so, yeah, that, that that type of stuff is, is just really, really satisfying. In terms of, like, your life as a whole, not just music, everything, what are some of the most important things to you? Oh, my God. Family's obviously very important to yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, family is really, really important. Um, outside of that, it's, it's just... <laughs> I'm, Oh, I guess I'm really simple. Um, <laughs> I really am. <laughs> um, <laughs> art is is really yeah. probably the most important thing to me, and <clears throat> uh, self expression. It's about leaving leaving something behind. Um, I, that that to me is probably the most important thing. I, I I've said it a few times now. I, I think legacy is literally mm-hmm. the most important thing. And I think from from as an artist or uh, having artistic tendencies, legacy is what we all want. It's to leave something behind that that stood for something or meant yeah. something, um, and will be remembered in a in a positive way. <clears throat> so that that's really what matters to me. Um, but it's your contribution to culture. It's a, it's your contribution to um, to society as well. You know, if it is helping other artists, you know, move forward with their career or you know, getting them started mm-hmm. or whatever it can be to help and put people on all of this, all of this type of stuff like and I do that in so many different ways like I run the B club which is for um new producers to you know play their music to you know a room full of people a room full of their peers um where is this where this is going well unfortunately we used to run it in the Bernard Shaw oh, here. <laughs> so RIP to that <laughs> Um, I was yeah. like, I was just getting ready, set up to be like, oh, I'm gonna head there Saturday yeah. night. Who's coming with me? Yeah, yeah. Yep. The thing is, it's it's actually fine <clears> because <throat> the B Club is like a standalone project that can be moved to any yeah. venue. Yeah. So we might do a Bernard Shaw on our side. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but it's just somewhere a safe place that young fellas can come and play their music for the first time to a bunch of people that will be positively receptive mm. to what they do it's also a competition so it's actually born out of the night I met Mango so when I did that producer battle against all the Amazing. other top producers in Dublin <clears throat> um, the experience that I had that night was so it was just like oh my god the energy it felt as people were responding to your records going, oh my god Yeah. I wanted to give that to other young fellas and other girls Absolutely. to experience for the first time 
So we've ran about, we've ran about, I'd say four, maybe five over the last two years because they take an awful lot of time to put on them, and I'm also very busy doing, you know, other stuff. Yeah. And um, that when the young fellas come down and they play their right, like we used to have to fucking, you know, um, get the bouncer on side at, at the Bernard Shaw because there'd be fourteen year old lads coming up going, and I'd be like, listen, bro, he's only going <laughs> to come in and play a few records, just help us out, you know. Yeah, and I know yeah. your man up there, he's a cool dude, and be like, all right, you keep an eye on him. Yeah, now. And as soon yeah, as they yeah. start playing the records, they're, they're out here, out. you know. Yeah, but that's the, what we do just to get the lads in and let them play some music and see how people respond to it. Because what that'll do is it'll take them out of four walls of their room mm. in their parents' gaff and put them in a live environment that will you know, motivate them and give them ambition. And what also happens is um, all the rappers in the city caught on to what the fuck was going on. Yeah. So all the rappers started coming up going just to check out the new producers and go, yeah, that's fucking deadly, that's deadly. And what, they were, what was happening was the lads would come off stage and the rappers would come over and go, what's the story? Listen, do you think we could collaborate together? Yeah. And the amount of music that has come out from these type of events over the last two years has been great. But it also helps develop the sense of community within the scene as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then doing things with Hennessy, um, help building or curate their stage last year um, was a big thing because we got to put 50% of the acts were Irish. Wow, so, amazing. And that's a big stage of Body and Soul. And then the two years before that, I was curating the uh, the the Bulmer stages um, for Forbidden Fruit. And again, they were entirely Irish. So to be able to kind of step back a little bit as math man and mango and math man and go, right, you guys are great. They're a great band. You just need an opportunity. Yes. And put somebody yes. on. And then at that, and I think that's actually the, the greatest thing you could ever do for anybody is give them an opportunity. Yes. Because agrees. two things will happen. If they really, really want it, they will make that opportunity turn into six or seven opportunities after that. They'll look to progress, they'll connect with the right people or they'll put on the performance of their life and move forward. But if they want it enough, that one opportunity will turn into something bigger for them. Or if the your confidence in them or your trust in them was misplaced and you give them the opportunity and they don't succeed, that's fine. You still did your best mm-hmm. for them. But I think the best thing you can do for anybody is to give them an opportunity. So in many different ways that I, I work or the things that I do, I'm just trying to help people mm. put them on do this you, here's a phone number ring this person they'll give yeah. you this okay. it's just about building I think building and, and, and helping everybody move forward and, and, and get to a better place You know, it's a very nice quality to have yeah. I mean because it's very easy you could very easily just be math man and do your thing and not worry about anyone else and just yeah. be like, I'm too busy to focus on whatever's going on and I'm just on my own journey. But the fact that you're like on this journey and you're using all your experience and, you know, your wealth of knowledge to give back and to help people. Mm. And it's it's so strange because of all the guests that I've had on, they've been so varied from all different backgrounds. And we always get to like this like point in the conversation where they give back in some way and it's what they've learned or, you know, they, they repeat a pattern that somebody done to them. Mm. And we had a therapist on, and I reference her all the time, Dr. Rina Gorlilu, but she was saying that the, the secret to happiness is actually to learn a skill and then to master the skill and then to teach 
someone else to skill and right. that's like our caveman days on how right, like you know right, right. teach a man to fish and all this kind of <clears> thing <throat> yeah. and then she said, that's actually the secret to happiness and and people are chasing this kind of existential dream of happiness and are so consumed by like how do i get happy and you know like treat it as if it's something that can be bought mm-hmm. you know in a store and when really it's very very simple it's find your passion become great at it and then teach somebody else how to be what you were or to, to yeah, teach them yeah. on that path you know so it's very interesting that you have that sort of quality as well yeah I thought, like it, it, ironically there was nobody really that gave me that when mm-hmm. I was growing up the influence on the state might have been like you know encouraging me with the DJ and, and, and things like that but um, there was no I had no one person to say alright you know here's the moves to make and you know mm-hmm. I, I, I had to learn all of that on my own so maybe that's one of the reasons that I'm saying, all right, this is actually a hell of a lot easier if, yeah, you know, yeah, than a lot yeah, of people yeah. think if they yeah. take a little look behind the curtain here. Um, so but it's when I see great talent and there's so much of it in Ireland right now, mm-hmm. I want to help them. You know, I, I can't, I don't like to see that go to waste. I don't like seeing people getting, you know, frustrated and giving up on themselves and, and giving up on their own art and their and their own truth and their own stories that they want to tell whether it be as a singer or an R&B artist or mm-hmm. a producer or, or an MC that's just it's just horrible you know and you, you see those people two three years later and you're like what the fuck happened you know yeah. so if we can help in some sort of way absolutely it's, it, what it takes nothing it yeah. takes nothing to, to, to put people on or give them an opportunity or a bit of advice or it's that's nothing that's easy you know so but it is important as well when we term, think of like you know we're referencing the mainstream earlier on and you know um, whether it's radio or whether it's TV or whatever it is like really getting behind and cherishing the the, the up and coming culture art culture you know creative mm-hmm. culture you know nothing has changed from when I was in my 20s to now being in my 30s when you speak to musicians artists whoever that is in the creative field they're like we just can't get funding there's no support there's there's always uh you know we're trying our best and then you see people who have massive talent and have the potential to be absolutely incredible and they just either pack it in or they you know just it filters away in some way like it's it's very frustrating you know yeah, to, to be a fan of creatives mm-hmm. and to go god if everyone was given like equal opportunity or a little bit more focus yeah. then who knows what could happen so doing that and putting that into practice like what you're saying is so important in in, in cultivating that culture yeah it is um, because like also you don't know what's going on individually in people's lives and, and you know what they, they might be going through that they ultimately turn around and say okay I can't pursue you know mm-hmm. m- you know my artistic uh, instincts anymore and I have to do this this and this yeah. you know they all um, everybody just goes through their own shit um, but there's no infrastructure for music <laughs> in Ireland mm-hmm. there's no talent incubation there's no ladder for you know young artists and musicians to climb in terms of this is step one of my career and, and how do I do that and how do I get there and now what's the next step and what's yeah. the next step there's none of that in Ireland um, so I guess the stuff that I'm doing and, and other people in, in the scene are doing is to try and make those pathways a little bit clearer to, to people and say alright look if you're trying to do this first okay this is how you do that and this this and this and when you have that done, you can move on to this. Mm-hmm. You can't go from A to, to D. You got to go A, B, C to get, you know. Yeah. So just giving back that way is, is an easy thing to do because you can't, 
looking around at the music landscape in Ireland or the creative landscape in Ireland, there's no clear pathways mm-hmm. to being a success or getting from A to B unless you talk to the people that are doing it. Yeah. So um, in the absence of that, just help your mates. You know yeah, what I mean? Absolutely. Just put them on and do what you can for them. Absolutely. In terms of your own experience, what has been the most important thing that you've learned or a key detail where you kind of sit back and go, you know, if someone said to you, give me one line of advice and all you know, what would it be? Oh, well... Trust your gut. Yeah. Always trust your gut. Your gut will never, ever lie to you. I don't think it'll lie to you about anything in your life, uh, whether it's, you know, creative or, or love or um, decision-making about anything. You always trust your gut. <clears throat> the other thing would be to work hard. Um, I, I live by the saying that um, hard, work, uh, hard work beats talent when talent isn't working. And the people that take their talent for granted are the ones that usually don't get anywhere. Yes. Um, so always work hard and have a blind focus to what you want to achieve. So if you want to get from here to here, nothing else, it should be like a, a very straight line to, mm-hmm. to get to that. And nothing else should really kind of deviate you from getting to that place. And I've learned that because I didn't. <laughs> I went left, right, left, yeah. right, back around, started back up. So the blind ambition will save you time and the hard work will get you to that point mm-hmm. um, quicker as well. So, yeah, that's the two the two main pieces of advice. The I good, give, yeah. good piece Three, of advice. Three, actually. Trust your gut. Trust your gut. That's a really important one. The gut one is actually very important, right? Because it sounds very simple and very, like, clear, precise to the point. But a lot of people don't know how to listen to their gut. Like, they're not aware of this feels off, like, what is it? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like being able to listen to your gut is like, yeah, so important. It sounds so simple, but like, do you know what I mean? I, I, even for myself, like I remember like, you know, just being in situations, whether it be relationships or jobs or whatever, and just being like, why do I not feel okay? Mm-hmm. Like, what is it? Like, it must be this or it must be that, like looking for other things instead of just actually sitting with myself and going, no, this is what the problem is. Like, it's only when you're out of it and you look back, hindsight is like an amazing thing, you know, really where you is. go, yeah. oh, okay, shit, I should have known that. And then as you get older, you, you learn to kind of listen to it a little bit more. You right? do, but it's from experience because like the, the times you didn't listen to your gut and, and you made the wrong decision. Yeah. That's a learning. You should take mm-hmm. that and go, ah, okay, right, I need to listen to my gut because my gut was telling me not to do that and I yeah. did it. And look how fucked up that situation <laughs> went, you know? So yeah. if you're not, you got to be self-aware to, you know, to listen to yourself and mm-hmm. listen to your instincts. Um, but you also have to be self-aware to learn from your mistakes. Yes. To go, okay, that didn't work out. I should have trusted my gut. And I think mm-hmm. over time with maturity as well, um, and the more you don't listen to your gut or you do, um, you learn to trust it more, you know? In terms of mistakes or regrets, you know, we all have them. But are you hard on yourself? when when yeah. they're in the process of it yeah I, and i i will i don't think i'll ever learn not to be hard on myself mm-hmm. and yeah do you know what i don't think i want to learn how to not be mm-hmm. uh, hard on myself because that's what drives me and that's what makes me better and that's what makes me get to a better position or achieve more or perfect the art it's about growth and i don't think if i was if i was easier on myself or i wasn't that hard on myself I wouldn't be challenging myself yes. so I know a lot of people these days you know they, they kind of say to themselves All right, I, I need to learn to not be so hard on myself yeah. and that's perfectly fine because we all mm. uh, we're all different human beings and we all work differently and we all yeah. have our different triggers And but for me 
I will always be hard on myself to achieve more and to do better because it's that work ethic and it's that mindset that allows me to get better. So when I look back at something and say, right, I should have done this, this and this, um, whether it's artistic or otherwise, I can learn from it. Mm. But I won't look at it as objectively um, if I wasn't being hard on myself. Do you yeah, know what I mean? But I'm quite happy with being hard on myself and I, I, I always will be. In terms of to- like thinking of yourself, like I can sit here and I can tell you um, or, you know, I can give you an idea or a sense of who I think you are. Mm-hmm. Your listeners, your audience will be able to give an idea of, hmm, you know, if I was to think about who he was, this is who he was, or this is the person who speaks to me in terms of when I listen to your records. But for yourself, like, who, who do you think you are? And I don't mean that in the sense <laughs> of like, who do you think do you, you bleed there? <laughs> but like, it, you're, in terms of like your inner self, your inner self-talk, like, where do you think you sit? I didn't think we were going here today with these type of <laughs> questions on, holy shit, all right. <laughs> Brexit is next. I, I, oh my God, I can't wait. <laughs> Who do I think I am? Oh, you can't wow. leave until you start crying. That's the real. <laughs> Jesus, this is group therapy, is it? <laughs> oh my God, who do I think I am? Do you know what? That's a, it's a mad one. Um, I don't think I've ever thought about that. And that's the God's honest truth. I... Who would you want? Who would you want to be? If someone is fat, like you're gone, you, you die in the morning. Mm. I say this every week Shane's like I can't believe she's bringing this up again (laughs) this week it genuinely is my favourite question you die in the morning the the lads are in the pub they're having a pint of Guinness and they're reminiscing on Adam aka Matman what would you want them to say who who would you want them to remember you as just um, as a good mate if it's it's friends that are talking about me or family to to be a good mate or, or to be a good son that they were proud of me but I guess it was the guy that didn't do the same thing that everybody else did mm-hmm. and found what he loved and went after it that's mm. it that's lovely that's the best answer we've had in 20 episodes <laughs> that's that's yeah I mean it's I mean that's really good like that and it's a simple quality it's the simple things you know what I mean like there that you're you're talking about in terms of and again I bring it up every episode purpose life purpose you're talking about legacy um yeah you know your legacy and how important that is to you in terms of life life purpose I love asking people about um you know do you believe in life purpose and do you think that you're you're fulfilling your life purpose. Um, it, that's a really tough one as well. Um, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be like a, a somebody that thinks like that. I kind of live very much in the moment mm-hmm. and react to circumstances and move forward with different opportunities or different pathways as they unfold or present themselves throughout your life to go this is the final destination in terms of my overall purpose as Mm -hmm. a human being you know for my entire life yeah it's too big it's too big and I think to be like 15 16 17 years of age um a question like that is too 
it's too big to, for somebody to answer. Yeah. I think you, you you start to learn more about yourself and grow into what your purpose might be. The the older you get, and the, the more mature you get. And mm. um, like my purpose in life is not to be a DJ, you know. Yeah. Although that was the passion that I that became very clear to me as a fourteen year old. Mm-hmm. It's my purpose is not to be a music producer, you know, or create art. I don't know what it is, but I think it over time that will. I think that changes over time as well. Like you could say, you know, like you, you fucking you hit 40 odd and my purpose is now to you know raise a good family you know mm. or, you know and have a loving caring home um in me tour or in my 20s and my, my purpose might be i want to be the best dj in ireland you know and yeah i want to be the first irish dj to be big internationally or then in your 30s it's like now nah, i want to i think that it changes over time yeah. with your own kind of value set and your own experiences and maturity so I don't think there's one singular purpose for for all of mm. us because it, it changes over time. And I think for me, the way I live my life, um, that I allow that to evolve naturally. Yeah. And the purpose will change. It could change on a weekly basis. It could change on a monthly well, basis. It, it could. <laughs> you know. Uh, do you feel that you've you've put your career on a bit of a pedestal and things like having a family or well, I mean I don't I don't know, but like mm. I'm just going off what you're saying. Do you feel like you've put that into the background or kind of at the back of your head and go like that'll be down the line to put your career first? Oh, without a doubt, yeah. Because it's it's a it's an interesting question, right? Because for you know, for me being 35, like I'm certainly doing that. And it's very interesting when I'm doing interviews and I'm on the other side of the table, that's the first thing people are like, but it's kind of in a negative tone. It's like, so you're choosing your career over like, you know, marriage and kids or a good social life, you know, and it's kind of like a well done, fair play to you. And it's like, yeah, fair play to me. Like, you know, I'm, I feel like, not that I need a fucking award for it, but it's like, you know, if you're, I must be doing something a little bit left to center if this is all that is spoke about in terms of it and it's I don't really see men of the same age getting asked that question but it's really interesting because um you know it's a weird thing where do people say that in a patronizing way do they do like no not uh, yeah like because I I think that should be applauded personally speaking I think so do I because it's and it's not look not not particularly for um would say like not being in a relationship like I'm not going around with a sign saying don't come near me I'm not getting into a relationship because I don't want kids but I'm like you know I I sacrifice a lot for work work comes first like I'm passionate about my passions do you know what I mean of course and sometimes maybe there might be it might be difficult for someone to understand um, how passionate you are about your work that's not passionate about something in their life if yeah, that makes yeah. sense without like ragging on anyone or anything but uh, <laughs> <laughs> look, now it's turning into my therapy Uh-oh, session oh <laughs> delete edit cut um, but um, yeah like I think that you know um, it's kind of it's it's a scary thing for me to be 35 and to like have made the choice say right I'm going to do this full time and I'm going to give it my all and you know what if I turn around when I'm 40 and what if I'm not married? What if I don't have kids? And what if I don't have a mortgage and all these things that we're told will make us happy? Mm. You know, I, I don't feel like I will feel like that, but fuck, what if I do? Do you know what I mean? You don't know until you reach the destination. That's the thing. Um, and we all value different things in, in our lives. Um, I've got plenty of family members that are quite happy to have their two kids and their yeah. house and their car and their sport on the weekend. You know, mm. and that's a, a content and happy and satisfying life and that's mm-hmm. great I'm, and I'm, I'm really happy for them it all comes down to the individual it's so subjective what makes us happy what do we value the most and right now you value 
and I value creating um, something bigger for myself, mm-hmm. uh, a career in something that I really, really love. And it's, it kind of gets back to that thing I, I mentioned earlier on about the blind ambition. The mm. blind ambition is not being distracted by all of the other things that are going on until you reach your, your destination or you reach your goal. So for me, I, that should be supported and applauded mm. if people are choosing to go, I want to be this or I want to be there or I want to achieve this, this and this. Mm. And they're so focused w- to get there. I, that, I might take my hat off to people like that. That's, that's, that's a beautiful thing because if, if people around them <clears throat> in their social circles or family circles really understood the sacrifices that are made mm. to try and get to these places, um, they'd appreciate it more. I so, think so. Um, no, that's that's a great thing. Um, I think people that, that that value different things to what conventionally what most people do, mm-hmm. they have to be like that to get to where they want to be. Mm, absolutely. Before I let you go, um, what is your understanding of happiness? Oh, wow. <laughs> Fucking hell. Just start crying and you can leave. <laughs> it's not, no, it's not emotion. It's, it's more like, these are heavy duty questions, man. This is like... We oh. go deep here. We go deep here. I wasn't expecting it. But you should have done your I'm research. Not, I, I should have. I really should have. It's my bad. Mathman does be, not listen to the first exchange. I'll be exchange. listening to them all on the way home now on the bus. I'll be like, oh, man. Um, sorry, what is it again? What do I... What's what, your understanding of, of happiness? happiness? Yeah. Um... I don't know. I actually, I really don't know. It's too, that's too too lofty for for right now. To be, <laughs> what it, it really is, it's um, well, that's my understanding of happiness. I guess it's um, being content or satisfied with yourself um, and what you've you, you've achieved or what you do with your life. No, I don't even. I'm just saying that to to say something right now. I don't know what the answer is. I actually don't. And that's that's the truth. Um, I will tell you when I find out. Please do. <laughs> I will. But, Please do. Um, I'm not gonna give you some half-assed like fucking arsey answer just for the sake of it. Yeah. Um, I don't know what it is. I respect your honesty, your artistic <laughs> truth here. I respect it. Um, oh, what would I want to ask you? Yeah, I, I didn't actually get. We were talking about the album at the start there, and it's it's really important to you. And the reason I asked it is because the idea of being a creator and a producer and in terms of the actual um, process of writing any kind of music. And I listened, the reason that I wanted to kind of uh, ask about your creative process and like what inspires you in terms of when you're actually sitting down to like put the beats together. Am I being cool? Uh-huh. Is that is <laughs> yeah, that the right yeah, thing yeah, you say? Yeah. Putting nailed the beats it, together? Nailed it. Go Dr. Dre. <laughs> <laughs> um, is uh, when I was listening to the album, the one thing that struck me and that I found really, really like interesting to listen to is like the little... I don't even know what you call them, like in between each song, the interludes. little interludes, mm-hmm. that's this. And like the, you know, um, the strings that you, sections that you have going through. And there's all little things that when you listen to it, like I listened to it back to back like two or three times this morning. And there was all little things along the way. And I was like, that's so, I kind of got an insight into your mind in terms of like the creative process of when you're like sat in your studio and you're, you're making all mm-hmm. these beats. And in, in terms of, um, it might be hard for people to to understand that don't, don't write music or don't make beats or understand your process in terms of like what you bring in, like what you take from, you know, emotions, your environment, your experiences and putting them all together to create this music. Yeah. What is that process like for you? 
Um, when you when you're writing a song, you're trying to convey emotion, mm-hmm. and the emotions are they vary. They're almost like characters or character traits. So one song might sound hyper aggressive, then the next song might sound, you know, uh, empowering. Yeah. And the next song might be emotional. So you have to to try and translate those emotions yes. through instrumentation and sonics mm. um, and then working with Mango it's about exaggerating those stories that he's telling um, or he's exaggerating the music that he hears when I send him uh, beats to try and tell that story so that when the two worlds meet together you get this very clear and vivid idea of your transport to Dublin you're with this guy you're walking with him you're walking through these city streets yeah. you hear the stories you can you can feel the texture of the the opening the track city, you know exactly it so, was a bread and butter bread and butter, bread yeah, and butter. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah exactly so like so it's about translating emotion and feeling and characters mm. through sound the process varies a lot of the time um but i tend to write a lot of my best music when i'm hung over because mm. I'm really emotional. You're emotional, <laughs> that's what I'm about to say. I'm absolutely emotional, fragile. right? You're fragile, you need to walk. You know, walk. by the time I get out of bed at five o'clock in the afternoon, <laughs> I'm like, I have something to eat. i like, all right, I'm shaky, let's go. Yeah. Let's do the it. The fear is let's creeping. Get let's let's go get, get it. it. So yeah, it's just about translating um, feelings. Yeah. Um, so. Do you find yourself being emotionless in real life because you put so much emotion into your creative process? No, I'm a, I'm a very emotional person. I'm a Sorry, very, saying, are you? Uh, I am uh, Pisces. Oh yeah, emotional fish. Yeah, yeah, emotional fish. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, yeah, I'm, I'm a very emotional person, um, and I'm, I, I have, I'm very empathetic. Mm. I can, I can read energy on people very, very quickly. Um, so I guess that translates into into the music and yeah. and, and the feelings that are you know, kind of translated mm. in the music too. Because um, the album is very much a storybook. Like you feel you're, you're on a little bit of a journey when you're listening yeah, to it. Yeah, definitely. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And you're getting a sense of, like, even with the interludes, like the the the. Can I actually just check on my phone because I want to get the song right? Okay. Um, sorry. This it's is okay. Really interesting do, for the listeners. I do so, know the, the whole album there, inside out. You could have <laughs> just told me where it's where it's is it at the beginning, the middle, or the end. I would have told you which one it was. <laughs> I did write the bloody <laughs> thing. <laughs> 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 no, I want to figure it out for myself. It was a uh... okay. I won't find this. Um, what was the, the interlude where um, the, it's the girl talking and someone had died, someone oh, had yeah. passed, and so they that's, say that's like Mango's oh. sister, Jenny. Right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh yeah, I, I like literally. I, I, because I, I, I was partner in the house and I was like thinking about the interview today and different stuff, and then that came on and I was like, Ugh. like I was, is that real? Like is that a recording? Is it, you know, like it was just. You're sucked into it, you know, mm-hmm. which is, I suppose, as a producer, that's kind yeah. of what you want. You know, you want people to... It's real life. Yeah. You know, yeah, and, yeah. and a lot of the stories, the story of the funeral, then in the, 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 the song yeah, that it runs the into, into it, the yeah, Lonely yeah. Night, they're all real stories, you mm-hmm. know. So that's, uh, we get back to like one of the first things we, we discussed, art is truth. Mm-hmm. And when people hear truth on a record, they connect with it on a much deeper level so to have those interludes like you said it drags you into the story a little bit deeper and Mm. you know because we've all gone through things like that Mm -hmm. in our lives Um, and I will say this it's probably outside of bread and butter Mango's best lyrical um, and uh, no not lyrical I guess his best 
songwriting I've heard from him on the album. I think Lonely Night, he he went uh, above and beyond himself mm. with uh, the writing on, on Lonely Night. Bread and Butter is like, is, is the jewel in the crown. Um, but on Lonely Night, he absolutely... Yeah, it was he, incredible. He I, it. I as soon as I heard it, I was like, "This is like just <laughs> yeah. amazing, like yeah. really, really, really is." You and then Loa, I mean, Loa, just she brought a, a, an even greater emotion mm. to, to yeah, the record as yeah, well yeah, with, yeah. with her. So yeah, Lonely Night is a real. It's a. It's. It's a special record. Yeah, it is. I definitely recommend it to anyone who hasn't <laughs> buy the record. It's fucking brilliant. Um, but yeah. Last question, final question in terms of the future. Don't give me no deep <laughs> one. Like, I'm like out here. Like, What's your favourite film you're hungover? <laughs> Karate Kid. It's my favourite film regardless. I said food, but that one oh, work. Oh, food. I thought you said film. All right, food. Uh, a poke. That's That shit's legit. Where is that? It's on, uh, it's on Liffey Street. Uh, Mexican? No, it's like a Hawaiian pokeball. Oh, no way. Oh, it's the finest. What's the order when you're in there? Spicy salmon. I had one here before I came over. <laughs> yeah, I did. I had to treat myself to me. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah. And Karate Kid is your favourite film? Oh, hands down. A classic. The Cobra trilogy. Guy. The trilogy, yeah. Did you watch the new one? Oh, well, I watched the YouTube series, of course. Oh, um, the Cobra Guy? It was a little yeah, bit disappointing. Yeah. The yeah, flashbacks were good. It. But the new one, I wouldn't go near it. Don't no. The fucking Will Smith. Will Smith, Jaden no, Smith. Oh, you're good mad. Luck. And I never watched the one with the girl either. The state of that. <laughs> Sexist no, pig. Nothing to do Sexist with that. If, if Ralph Macchio is not in it, I'm not watching it. It's as simple as that. A classic, Legend. absolute classic. Yeah, brilliant. That's why I do the karate. <laughs> um, but what was I saying? That hopes for the future. Hopes That's what for I the future. Answer. Final question. Um, just to have um, more success. Um, to continue to give great art to to the world, um, and to be able to do that, um, that's what that that yeah, that's that's what I want to do. Just keep creating, Good keep stuff. giving back to the culture. Will we have to wait another four years for another record? No, absolutely not. We are about to flood the streets. <laughs> good, 2020, we'll not know what's going on with the Mango Matman records good coming, stuff. I swear to God. Do you have anything in terms of like touring, anything that you can like give our listeners? Where can we, they find out more about you? I just, uh, socials is the easiest way. Just uh, Mango X Matman, uh, Mango Dazzle, uh, and then Matman uh, as well. They're all the, they're the three accounts. Um, and we're going to have like a, a pretty big announcement um, in the next couple of weeks as well. So Brilliant. Um, yeah, just watch them. And if you like what we do, stay connected and see you at the next show. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you very much for coming in. Thank you for having me. It, it's been great and um, very therapeutic. <laughs> <laughs> That's no joke. How many people say that? I always get a text really? after, about an hour after the show and people go... Fucking hell, Paddy Hoolan, we had Paddy on. Paddy was only like, I know Paddy really well. He's like, fucking hell, I know you bleeding years, and I feel like you were me bleeding therapist there. Like I was opening up to you and like same. See all the questions I couldn't answer. I'm gonna go home and think about them now for the next couple of months. You're like, wow, man, I, I, uh, please do. And yeah. I tell you what, I put them in a comments underneath the picture when we put them up on social. <laughs> and I was like an extended edit. We'll get you back in a all couple right. of months. Uh, Matt Man would like to, you know. Riyadh, just get in here. But um, no, I really do appreciate you coming in. Oh, thanks I for know having you're me. It's been, it's been great, genuinely. Appreciate it. And it can be nervous when you don't have a clue what you're going to be asked and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, I do. But you get realer it. answers that way, I think. When people are not prepared and they don't know what's coming, you get you get instinct. Well, for me as well, because I don't you actually know. write questions down. I oh, just right, like, cool. you know, I like, just like do little like 
little YouTube search, like what yeah, can yeah, I find yeah. and then kind of get a sense of you and then go off what you're saying. Yeah. So some people can be a little, now I haven't had it that much with the podcast, but sometimes when I'm doing interviews with Fight Connect TV and they're like big, you know, people that are used to doing media or PR stuff, what questions are you going to ask? I'm like, fuck me, I don't know. Yeah, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens when I get yeah. in there. I don't know the opening question. How are you? Yeah. But it's a conversation, you know, it's yeah. like, see where it goes. And it's good for me too, because it keeps me listening to mm-hmm. what you're saying. Staying engaged. I've tried the question thing and it's like, you just, you're looking at the page and then your guest goes off track and then you're like, oh, I have to ask that question. Oh, it's just bollocks. There's no fluidity. Throw it away. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed it. Good. Good, good. Thanks, good to hear. No problem. Thank you very much. Uh, Adam Fogarty, aka Mathman, for the first exchange.